the views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence of investing. Calls are pre-screened and the show was pre-recorded earlier this week. Rick is with Edelman Financial Engines, a part of Financial Engines Advisors, LLC, and the investment advisor that furnishes this program. Barron's ranks financial advisory firms based on assets managed, team size, experience, and regulatory record. Firms self-nominate. Investment returns and experience are not considered. Advisors in the Hall of Fame have been in the top 100 for 10 plus years. Future performance is not guaranteed. This is the Rick Edelman Show. Barron's ranks Edelman Financial Engines the number one independent investment advisor in the country. And Rick is in the Barron's Financial Advisor Hall of Fame. Now, sitting in for Rick, here's Isabel Barrow. Thanks for joining us on the Rick Edelman Show this holiday weekend. We're wishing you a very happy holiday season and a happy new year to all of you. I'm Isabel Barrow, filling in for Rick and Jean this weekend, and I'm thrilled to be here with you today. There have been some positive developments in the last week or so, including news that we now have two approved vaccines being administered to Americans with the addition of the Moderna vaccine, and Congress has settled on another stimulus package. The package is going to include funding for schools, healthcare providers, vaccine distribution, and small businesses, and importantly, an additional $300 a week in enhanced unemployment benefits and another round of direct stimulus checks for many. And as we bring it to a close, well, 2020 has been something for the record books, hasn't it? It's been a year of highs and lows and perhaps more lows and highs, but it will certainly be one that we will all remember. 2020 has seen hardship and illness, the likes of which we've never seen before. And there are still so many who are suffering from illness to job loss or reduction. And those who've had to adapt to an entirely new way of life are older generations confined to nursing homes or their homes and to parents with young children trying to balance full-time jobs and kids at home. Kids who've been missing out on just so much in terms of their education, in terms of social interactions, to healthcare workers and essential workers, to the grocery store clerks, and just so many more. We've had to adjust, accept, and adapt. And if this year has taught us anything, I think one thing is clear. We need to be prepared for anything. So 2020 has taught us to be prepared from having enough in cash reserve to get through hardship or to things that help make us feel prepared, like having enough toilet paper or hand sanitizer. But there are still some bright lights in the darkness of 2020, and quite literally, the stars are brighter than ever. Americans have been enjoying outside activities in the great outdoors, going for bike rides or taking their new dogs for walks. Yes, more dogs joined us than ever this year as Americans adopted dogs in droves. Rick and Jean got Hoshi. My family, we welcomed Fred, our new puppy. He's brought us an enormous amount of joy and fun and a few chewed up shoes. (laughs) Always mine. In fact, according to the ASPCA, animal welfare organizations across the country saw pet adoptions grow from 58% at the beginning of March and they jumped by 85% at the end of the month. We learned to adapt to a new way of living. We saw generosity of our fellow Americans and those who volunteered for vaccine trials, perhaps putting their lives in danger to help advance the search for a cure. Traffic is down. The air is cleaner. We learned how to use Zoom and other video platforms to talk to our loved ones when we couldn't see them in person. We went to drive-in movies. We learned an instrument through an online course. In fact, guitars are selling out as more people pick up a new hobby. We bought so many bikes that the bike stores were sold out of them everywhere. In April, 
my family and I stood in a probably two hour line outside the bike shop to get a new helmet and bike for my four year old. And it was so worth it because we had so much fun going on family bike rides and we did it so much that she's already been able to take off her training wheels. So I'm very proud of her. Some of you learned a new language, participated in an art class from home. It's also been a year of extremes from the COVID outbreak and then the subsequent lockdown to the election, stock market volatility. I mean, murder hornets, what else? Gosh, we had the wildfires in California and Australia. And to top it off, the hurricane season was the second worst on record. Just as we're getting used to the new tax rules as a result of the SECURE Act, which created sweeping changes to the rules around retirement accounts. Well, then we got other new rules, at least for 2020 under the CARES Act. If something living through 2020 has taught us, it is to be prepared for anything, but also importantly to recognize that we can't prepare for everything. Financial planning and diversification can protect us from a lot of financial risks, but not everything. And you need to recognize that once you make a plan, there will be times when you need to make changes or adjustments along the way. It's not a one and done deal. And another lesson of 2020 might be to remember to enjoy what we have when we have it. When you are able to finally safely hug your friends and family or neighbors, hug them tighter. And when you can, and maybe it'll be in 2021, take that trip you've been saving for and start checking things off your bucket list. Because remember that while money is meant to protect us and, pro and to provide for us, it is also there to enrich and enhance our lives. If you or someone else you know needs help planning your future, call us. We'd love to help make sure you're financially prepared to have the future you want for yourself. Now let's take a look at this tumultuous year, like a year in review. As you know, the stock market has had a historic year reaching all-time highs, while unemployment also had reached an all-time low of 3.5% in February. We then witnessed one of the worst single-quarter GDP contractions ever, and then saw the unemployment rate rise faster than at any point ever in history. Amid the chaos of the pandemic, we watched the stock market make history at least five times with the steepest and quickest bear market decline ever. It took just 16 trading days for the Dow Jones to go into bear market territory, which is defined as a 20% decline. And on an aggregate basis, the S&P 500 lost at its peak 34% in only 33 calendar days. And compare that to the average bear market correction, which has historically taken at least 11 months to hit that 30% number. So what does that tell us? We've just simply never seen such a steep and rapid bear market decline in the stock market's history. We also saw the highest volatility reading on record. The CBOE volatility index, which is also known as the VIX index, is a measure used to gauge the volatility in the markets. And in March, it hit an all-time high, a benchmark that was last set during the Great Recession. And just how crazy has the market been? Well, since late February, the Dow has registered 14 of its 17 largest daily point declines and eight of its nine biggest single-day point increases in the 124-year history. And in many instances, these occurred in sequential trading sessions, meaning it was one day up, one day down, breaking records on both sides. The stock market crash included the three worst point drops in U.S. history. For instance, in the eight trading days between March 9th and March 18th of this year, the Dow gained or lost between 1,000 and almost 3,000 points in those days. Now, it's important to keep in mind that as the markets reach higher numbers, point gains and losses don't matter as much 
as the percentage gains and losses, meaning a 3,000 point gain on 30,000 is 10%, where a 3,000 point gain on 3,000 is 100%. 2020 then also gave us the fastest recovery from a bear market bottom to new highs. After bottoming on March 23rd, it took us less than five months for the S&P to rise to a new high. And how about the NASDAQ? Well, it did even better with index recording more than three dozen record closing highs in 2020. On November 24th, the Dow broke 30,000 for the first time ever. And in other extremes we saw this year, we went from the outbreak of the novel coronavirus to a vaccine in less than a year, which was an absolutely astounding accomplishment. And two vaccines are now being distributed to Americans. Mortgage rates dropped to a record low this year. Home prices reached a record high. According to the National Association of Realtors, the median sales price for existing homes reached over $300,000 for the first time in history. The 10-year treasury hit an all-time low. U.S. existing home sales approached a 14-year high. Unemployment rate rose to a record high of 14.7% in April. That was up more than 10 points from February, and it was the highest month-over-month increase in the history of the data. Bankruptcies approached the highest number in a decade, and 2020 is on track to have the highest number of retail bankruptcies in a decade, with 43 major retailers filing bankruptcy so far this year. These are retailers like Pier One, Neiman Marcus, GNC, Brooks Brothers. I mean, who's buying suits right now? Median home prices set a new record in California going up over $700,000 for the first time. What's the outlook? After a year like this, where it's been highs and lows and highs and lows, many of us are looking to what's next. What should we be thinking about? Do you have more money in your bank account than you're comfortable handling on your own? Did you get a new job? Did you move? Do you need help with your evolving financial situation? What do we do now with what we have? Well, there's no time better than now to seek the help of an experienced financial planner to talk about how this past year has changed or reshaped your future. Maybe it's big changes or maybe it's little ones, but either way, if we want to ensure that we're prepared for what's next, the best way to be prepared financially is through creating a personalized financial plan. And if you or someone you know could benefit from this, call us at 888-PLAN-RIC. That's 888-752-6742 or at rickedelman.com. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. Jingle bells swing and jingle bells ring. Snowing and blowing a bushels of fun. Now the jingle hop has begun. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. Money doesn't come with instructions. More of your questions coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. How much do you need to save for retirement? Hi, I'm Rick Edelman, founder of Edelman Financial Engines. The question's simple, but the calculation can be complex. How much you need to save for retirement depends on how much income you want, what outside sources you'll have, like Social Security and pensions. And here's the good news. You don't have to guess. We can give you the answer. For more than 32 years, we've shown people just like you how much you need to save for retirement and how to invest it. And now's your chance. Call us for the personal financial advice and investment management services you need with local offices to serve you. At Edelman Financial Engines, we're happy to help you whether you have a little to invest or a lot or anything in between. Come see why thousands of folks just like you rely on Edelman Financial Engines. 
Call us at 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-PLAN-RICK. Or visit us at rickedelman.com. That's ricedelman.com. Welcome back to the Rick Edelman Show. You're listening to Isabel Barrow. I'm in for Rick and Jean today. And so far on the show, we've been talking about 2020 and what happened this year. And now it's time to turn our focus to next year. And what's our favorite thing to talk about around this time of year but never accomplish? That's right. It's your New Year's resolutions. You knew I was going to go there. Are you someone who makes a resolution or a few resolutions and sticks to it and always accomplishes them? Are you someone who doesn't bother because you are afraid that you can't do it or you'll fail? I, I mean, I personally almost always make a resolution, but then immediately forget about what it was. <laughs> Don't follow through. So clearly I'm not doing it right. But if you fall into the camp of wanting to make a resolution, but struggling to accomplish them, well, I have some good news for you. Help is available and it is simpler than you think. In a 40-year-old but still totally relevant Harvard Business Study, they found that 3% of the graduates from their MBA program who had written down their goals earned up to 10 times as much as the other 97% put together just 10 years after graduation. Now let that sink in. The 3% who the only difference that we know of was that they wrote down their goals earned 10 times more than the other 97% put together. That is a powerful argument for having a plan and having it in writing. But what should you plan for and how do you actually accomplish it? That seems to be the problem for most people. In fact, 70% of Americans surveyed plan to have a New Year's resolution for 2021, but only 55% think that they will be able to follow through with the resolution. And they're probably right because most people abandon their resolutions by January 11th. That's why it's now called Quitter's Day. A top five resolution is to eliminate spending, save more money, better prepare for retirement. Most Americans who report planning to have a New Year's resolution for 2020 said one of their goals was related to finances, with an equal amount wanting to eat healthier or be more active. And new for 2021, a focus on family has been added to that list. And some other common goals are spending more time with family and friends. Hopefully, we'll get to do more of that in 2021. Getting involved in our local community or improving current relationships or maybe falling in love. Maybe it's a skill development like learning a language or an instrument or taking up a sport. It could be quitting smoking, reducing your alcohol consumption, or maybe it's getting more sleep. By the way, that's definitely on my list. <laughs> I could use a little more sleep. I have a four-year-old. Or you could be like my husband, whose New Year's resolution every single year is to get better at golf, which is not something that I'm likely to support as golf is extremely time-consuming. Um, about one out of five Americans are not motivated to make any resolutions, and 65% said it was because they didn't think they would succeed or they're too busy. Interestingly, what your resolution is may also be related back to your age. 50% of millennials surveyed said that their resolution is money-related, while Gen Xers, boomers, and the silent generation say it's more about a focus on their health. The younger Generation Z says their resolution is to focus on self-improvement. And among Americans who reported having a New Year's resolution in 2019, 44% said they're either still going strong with their commitment or they've already reached their goal. So that's pretty good. 
More than half report that they kept their resolution for less than a year. That's not great. Losing motivation was the main reason for not keeping their resolutions, followed by potentially being too busy, uh, followed by the impact of COVID or not having the support they need to accomplish their goals. Now, let's talk about how you can actually be successful in accomplishing your resolutions. And it starts with being specific about them. So for example, instead of saying save more money, say save an emergency fund and then make it measurable. So instead of saying save an emergency fund, say save $10,000 into an emergency fund in a separate savings account. And then be realistic, make it something you can actually achieve. Because if you wanna save $10,000 into a savings account and you have nothing in there and your income is $30,000, well, is it realistic that you can save half of your after-tax income? Or are you just setting yourself up for failure by setting the bar so high that it's impossible? So don't aim so high that you can't accomplish it. And then actually go and set it up. Also, don't give yourself 10 resolutions and expect that you can accomplish all 10. In financial planning, we recognize that you may have 10 different financial goals and 10 things you need to work on. However, giving you a list of 10 things to go home and do is just a recipe for disaster. Instead, we might leave you with two or three areas to go work on and improve initially over the months or even years and address everything over time. As they say, only bite off as much as you can chew in one sitting. Next, make your resolution relevant. You can say a great goal is I want to save $10,000 into an emergency fund, but is that the right number? And moreover, is that really the best use of your money? Or paying off a credit card at 20% interest rates be a smarter choice or have a bigger impact on your financial well-being? Next, give it a time frame. Talk to your financial advisor about what is a realistic time frame to accomplish these goals. If you want to save $10,000 and you know you can save $1,000 a month, well, why don't you plan to save that money over a year? Because you and I both know that there's going to be a trip or, yeah, by the way, 2021 is going to give us back those vacations. Well, at least we hope. Or maybe it's a family member in need or a car repair, but something's going to derail you for a month or two. So give yourself some leeway and plan for it to take a year. And don't give up. Even if you fail one month, just pick up where you left off and try again. And most importantly, write it down. This is where a financial planner can help you. And here's a thought. Instead of trying to work it out on your own, maybe your resolution should just be to call a financial planner and then write it down in your fridge, set a time frame for it, and actually do it. Your resolution would be call XYZ financial planner to set up a meeting before the end of February. It's specific. It's in writing. It's realistic. It's relevant. It has a time frame, and it's achievable. Now, obviously, my examples are all about money because, after all, this is a financial planning show, but this process can be used for any of your goals. And remember, don't bite off more than you can chew. Only focus on a few areas that you know you can accomplish. And then once they're checked off, then you can move on to all the other things. Now, if your New Year's resolution does include calling a financial planner, why not call us? Edelman Financial Engines has offices all over the country with qualified, experienced financial planners available to help you with all of your long and short-term goals. And even if your financial planning is intact, well, maybe you have a goal of improving your portfolio's diversification or finally selecting an investment manager to help you. And you may think that you have enough to accomplish your goals, but is it invested in the right way? Is your money working for you the best way possible? Do you have enough diversification? Are you rebalancing? Are you using the most efficient investments? And if you don't know, or if this is going on your to-do list, call us at 888-PLAN-RICK or reach us at rickedelman.com.
Well, unfortunately, about half of all Americans experienced some type of financial setback in 2020, and 80% of those said that COVID-19 was the reason. Of that group, about 40% had their income go down, and about a quarter of them experienced a job loss. And the hardest hit group of people was those in the 18 to 34 range, and those who were making below about $50,000 a year. So those setbacks caused a large percentage of those respondents to postpone their financial goals that might have been buying a car or going on vacation, starting an emergency fund or purchasing a home, in some cases having a medical procedure. Nearly one third of the respondents took on more debt. But that was 2020 and we are more optimistic about 2021. In fact, more than half of Americans are optimistic about their financial situation going into 2021 after a rough year this year. Two thirds are expecting to achieve some type of delayed financial milestone. It might be to start that emergency fund or to stash money away for the vacation or to buy the car. And buying the car might be because of a transition from the cities to the suburbs for many young people. More than a third of respondents said the pandemic had actually helped them to save, and 84% of those said they expect to stick to their current spending levels post-pandemic. So this is some good news going into 2021, and we're going to get to the phones next on The Rick Edelman Show. You're on with Isabel Barrow. I'm in for Rick this weekend. 888-PLAN-RICK or rickedelman.com. the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Truth About Your Future, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Hi, I'm Rick Edelman with a warning. Millions of people are buying stocks they think are low in price. Watch out. A lot of investors have no idea the risks they're taking. But you're holding steady, right? You haven't made a trade all year. That could be a problem, too. With COVID on the scene, you might need more in cash than before. and Maybe you need to reduce your market risk as well. Are you sure your portfolio is COVID-ready? Call us at Edelman Financial Engines, and let's review your investments and your entire financial situation and see if you're in good shape as this crisis continues. It's not the time to go it alone. Call us at 888-PLAN-RICK. Talk with one of my colleagues here at Edelman Financial Engines. We'll review your portfolio and make sure you're ready for what comes next. And we'll help you get through this crisis just like we've helped clients get through every crisis for the past 35 years. Call us at 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-PLAN-RICK. Online at ricedelman.com. Hi, I'm Rick Edelman with a warning. Millions of people are buying stocks they think are low in price. Watch out. A lot of investors have no idea the risks they're taking. But you're holding steady, right? You haven't made a trade all year. That could be a problem, too. With COVID on the scene, you might need more in cash than before. and Maybe you need to reduce your market risk as well. Are you sure your portfolio is COVID-ready? Call us at Edelman Financial Engines and let's review your investments and your entire financial situation and see if you're in good shape as this crisis continues. It's not the time to go it alone. Call us at 888-PLAN-RICK. Talk with one of my colleagues here at Edelman Financial Engines. We'll review your portfolio and make sure you're ready for what comes next. And we'll help you get through this crisis just like we've helped clients get through every crisis for the past 35 years. Call us at 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-PLAN-RICK. 
online at ricedelman.com. Welcome back to the Rick Edelman Show. Isabel Barrow in for Rick this weekend. We're going to go to John in New York City. John, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on. What is your question? How can we help you? Um, So I was furloughed during the summer and eventually ended up leaving my employer for a new opportunity. Uh, I accumulated approximately 65K in my uh, 401K with my ex-employer. And I was recently contacted by their investment manager for some next steps, you know, whether to uh, roll that money into my new 401k with my new company, uh, possibly keep it with that investment manager in uh, the form of maybe a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA, or cash it out. And just to add on top of uh, that decision I have to make, I am looking to purchase a house in the spring and wanted to take out 15 to 20k of that money, uh, you know, for down payment or what have you, and then put the rest into a Roth IRA. So just curious about your thoughts and the decision-making process about uh, traditional versus a Roth in the position I'm in, and then you know using that CARES Act, which is available now, to pull some of that money out penalty-free and use it for uh, a large purchase. Got it. Okay. Let's just start with your situation right now is that you have a new job, um, new 401k plan, and you're participating in that new 401k plan? That is correct. Excellent. Good work. So let's just talk about first the options that you have, because just because they told you that you can do something doesn't mean that you should, right? So the investment advisor is reaching out to you, and we have to really kind of unpack all of the different options you have and figure out which one is the best for you. So as you said before, you have one option is to take those funds and roll them into the new employer's 401k plan. So that is an option to you. Now, another option is to roll that money over into an IRA. Another option is to just leave it where it is. So you're under no obligation with that employer to do anything. You could leave that 401k plan with them as long as they leave that 401k plan open. Now, that doesn't mean you want to, nor that you absolutely should, but it is another option. And then, of course, the last option, which is to cash it out, take some money out. And maybe there's some in between here, which I think is is what you're looking at. So, so now let's talk about the component here that you referenced rolling some over into a Roth IRA. So tell me about the money that's in that 401k plan right now. Is it pre-tax, post-tax? Have you already made Roth contributions? Do you already have a Roth IRA? Give me a little more insight there as yeah. to what's going on. So uh, no Roth IRA, uh, no uh, post-tax contribution. It's all pre-tax. So in order to go with that Roth IRA, I, I, the logic is I would have to you know, pay taxes on doing that conversion. Got it. So if in theory, you are going to do what you want, which is take money out to pay for a down payment on a house and roll over some of the 65000 or all of the 65000 into a Roth IRA, you are essentially going to be tacking $65,000 on your income that you're going to have to pay taxes on in either 2020 or 2021, regardless of you know when you do it. Either you're going to split it up and take some out this year and some out next year. But overall, you're talking about paying taxes on 100% of that money, which ultimately, then you're talking about that going on top of your current income, which could then mean that 65000 is in an entirely higher tax bracket. 
And if you manage to do this before the end of 2020, yes, due to the pandemic relief, you may be able to actually stretch out those payments over three years, but that's assuming you can get it out here in the next couple of days. So I think that that may not be what I would recommend doing in this case. However, there are some other things to unpack here. So your other alternatives are to roll it into your new company 401k plan, roll it into a traditional IRA in this case. So if you take a little bit of money out to pay for the down payment, and then you roll over the rest into a traditional IRA, now you're only talking about having to pay taxes on whatever you take out for this down payment. And under the CARES Act, if you avoid the penalty, you're just talking about income taxes then on that, I don't know, you said 10 or 15,000, I think, to put it for a down payment. Was I right about that? Yeah, right, about 15. So then you would have the other 50 that you would either roll into an IRA or roll into your new employer's 401k plan. I think unless you're in a very low tax bracket right now, meaning I would say 20% or less, it doesn't make sense to, to take that money and convert it into a Roth at this time in the conversion. Again, unless you're in a low enough tax bracket that you think, hey, this is the year I got to do it. I'm in a low tax bracket this year. And in all future years and in retirement, I'm going to be in a much higher tax bracket, even after considering all the income that I'm going to be taking this year. Are you still with me, right. John? <laughs> I'm listening. Yeah. Okay. So I think that has left you really with kind of now the decision is, do you leave it where it is? Do you put it into uh, the new employer's plan? Again, all as traditional or just roll it over into a rollover IRA or traditional IRA. And your options there are really going to depend on what is available to you in the 401k plan, meaning what are the underlying investment options? Do you have access to getting long-term planning advice through the 401k plan? What are the fees that are going to be associated with either leaving it in your current plan or rolling it over into your new employer's plan? And what would that look like versus a rollover IRA where now you have more control over the underlying investments because it's not dictated by whatever your employer has said is available in their plan. You can put it in whatever you want. You could leave it in cash. You could put it into stocks. You could put it into mutual funds. An IRA has a lot more flexibility with the underlying investments. However, they can also come with higher fees, higher underlying costs of the investments yeah. themselves. And I've seen that in my, my brief kind of research. I did see that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you have to weigh what's right for you. Is it worth it to pay a fee? And in some cases it is because when you lay out all the pros and cons of what you're getting for your 401k versus what you'd be getting in the IRA, you know, for many people, I think the IRA is better. And for others, I think rolling it into the 401k plan of their new employer is better. It is completely dependent on, again, all of those factors and what your own confidence is around your ability to make those decisions, right? The underlying investment decisions, if you do keep yeah. it in the, the current plan. Okay, now on to the taking some money out for the home purchase. Walk me through kind of the timing of this, how long until you're going to be buying the house. And if you don't take it out of the retirement plan, because again, that's retirement money. So I'm using air quotes here. I want to make sure that yep. we remember that's retirement money. The whole purpose of putting it away was to save it for retirement. So taking it out for a home purchase is going a little bit of a different direction with it. So what would your alternatives be with that home purchase should you not take it out of the 401k plan? Yeah, so so there's definitely money saved for a purchase, um, but I feel like, you know, possibly pulling some of this money out now, uh, penalty-free with some of the low interest rates on housing, which is, you know, completely different uh, conversation. I just feel like it's the right time to maybe 
uh, go ahead, reach in, pull out some of that money, uh, make that purchase in the spring, hopefully April or May, uh, and take advantage of, of the opportunities in the housing market. Yeah, this is like everyone is hopping on this opportunity right now, right? The housing market has just been on yep. absolute fire. And um, and part of that, you're right, is because of the mortgage interest rates being as low as they are. I mean, just historically low rates. Yeah. But but you're talking about taking money out of your retirement plan, paying taxes on it. So even if you don't have the penalty portion, you are still going to pay taxes on that at either yes. your current or even a higher tax rate, depending on how much you take out, and you're going to be left with less. So if you take out 10 bucks and you have to pay 30% in taxes, you're left with seven. So you're going to have to take yes. out more than the, the 15 to access 15, which then means that money isn't working for you for the long term. So in general, I would advise you against taking money out of the retirement plan if you have other resources, other um, places from which you can draw for a down payment and look at different loan options. You may not have to put down the 15,000. Now, ideally you are putting a down payment down at least enough to avoid mortgage insurance over the life of the loan. Um, but I would think at this point, you're probably right in the ballpark of needing to talk to an advisor about what's best for you because you have all these different things going on. And I think if you had a plan to sit down and say, okay, here's how much I need for retirement. Here's what my tax bill is gonna look like. Like, here's how much I need to put down in the house and here are my different loan options. If you laid it all out, I think you could come up with a pretty good plan to get all of these things paid for, to have a goal or a time frame in mind for this and to know that you're not robbing your retirement just to get, you know, the, the lower interest rate on the house that you think you might get now, but you're sacrificing again, that long-term opportunity for growth on the retirement account. Right. So, exactly. you know, yeah, I think that that would be interesting math there, but <laughs> right. But I think um, overall, my advice would be try to leave that account as intact as possible over the long term, either leave it where it is, roll it into your new plan, roll it over to an IRA. Um, don't try to do the, you know, don't try to do that as part of a Roth conversion and consider trying to pay for the house some way else. And I'm sorry for that. I know it's <laughs> probably not what you want to hear, but, you know, sometimes that's what financial planning is. It's a little bit hard to swallow. Of course, and I appreciate that. Thank you. All right, John, glad we could help. If you have questions like John, give us a call at 888-PLAN-RICK or reach us at rickedelman.com. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow and snow. Named by Talkers Magazine as one of the 100 most important radio talk show hosts in the country, this is The Rick Edelman Show. How much do you need to save for retirement? Hi, I'm Rick Edelman, founder of Edelman Financial Engines. The question's simple, but the calculation can be complex. How much you need to save for retirement depends on how much income you want, what outside sources you'll have, like Social Security and pensions. And here's the good news. You don't have to guess. We can give you the answer. For more than 32 years, we've shown people just like you how much you need to save for retirement and how to invest it. And now's your chance. Call us for the personal financial advice and investment management services you need with local offices to serve you. At Edelman Financial Engines, we're happy to help you whether you have a little to invest or a lot or anything in between. Come see why thousands of folks just like you rely on Edelman Financial Engines. 
Call us at 888-PLAN-RIC. That's 888-PLAN-RIC. Or visit us at rickedelman.com. That's ricedelman.com. Welcome back to the Rick Edelman Show. Thanks for spending part of your holiday weekend with us. I'm Isabel Barrow in for Rick today. Let's head to Akakeek, Maryland. We have Elizabeth on the line. Hey, Elizabeth, thanks for joining us. What can we help you with? Well, I am a uh, listener of Rick, and I have heard him talk many times about the fact that he doesn't see it as a good plan always to pay off your mortgage. However, I'm in a good position right now, and I'm paying all my bills with no issues, and I have a good savings level, and I'm getting ready to refinance to lower the interest rate. But there is a cash out if that would be a, a good thing for me to do. I don't need to take it out, but if if that was something that, you know, would be advantageous, I'd like to know what your thoughts are. Okay, excellent. Well, thanks for your question and congratulations. It sounds like you've gotten yourself in really good financial shape here and you're doing the right thing by thinking about a refinance right now, but you're talking about the possibility, it sounds like, of taking some money out of your house as a cash out refinance. Is that what has been proposed? That is an option. I don't need to take it out. I'm just going to take it out if it's to my advantage. Yeah, I understand. And it can definitely be tempting. So when you look at the value of your home and you say, wow, it's grown in value and I can refinance and access that money, it can definitely be tempting. I will give you a short answer and then a little bit of a longer answer. And I don't know that neither answer is exactly right for you, but I'm going to do my best because I'm not looking at your overall financial picture. We're just sort of looking at a snapshot of this piece. So the short answer is no, you don't typically want to cash out just for the sake of, of cashing out for a couple of reasons. And And one of them is that you're probably not going to be eligible for the very best possible rate if you take cash out of the home. So your broker, are you working with a mortgage broker? Are you working directly with your current lender? How are you going through this process? I'm not going through my current lender. Okay. And so what they're going to offer you most likely is two different possible um, mortgage rates, one of which is if you don't take anything out and you just refinance what you have, and one if you do a cash out, typically I'm saying. So it may may be the same, but it's probably a little bit higher of a rate on the rest of your money if you take that cash out. And two, while you don't need that cash now, you may need it in the future if you're ever moving and you need that equity. If you had to sell your home for some reason, you don't want to be at a 100% mortgage. You don't want to have a leverage against all of your home. So it is nice to have a little bit of that equity cushion for the future what ifs. So again, generally the answer is no, but in what case might it apply that taking equity out of your home would be helpful? Well, if you were using that money to do things that were arguably better for your overall financial picture, for example, you were using them that equity as part of an overall financial planning strategy to eliminate or pay down some debts or um, to do some renovations on the house that are absolutely needed. So those are some examples of, and there there are probably many, many, uh, those are just two examples of where it might be beneficial to you to cash out. But you did say you're in a good position financially. You have an emergency fund. You've been paying all of your bills. You're really doing this refi just to get a lower interest rate. Is that right? That's basically it. Yes. 
Yeah. So here's another idea, Elizabeth, is that if you, let's just say you go through that refinance, you just refi whatever your existing mortgage is. So you don't take out the extra money. And then just because you have it, you open up a home equity line of credit so that if in the future you ever do need to access that money for, let's say, a home repair or something, uh, a renovation to your house, you would have access to that without having to do another refi or without having to sell your home. So that's not a foregone conclusion that you need to do that, but you would have that option down the road should you want to access that equity without having to do it as a cash out. Because, you know, I think also if you go through and you cash out some money in this process of the refinance, you are paying interest on that money. And then the question is, what do you do with it? And and would it be safe if you stick, stick it in the bank and it's making zero point nothing and you have to pay interest on it? Well, you don't really benefit yourself at all. If you lose money. Right. I mean, ultimately, yes, in, in real terms, you're right. You're losing money because, you know, of inflation. Are you also of the mindset that it's not advantageous to pay off the mortgage? I am also of the mindset that it's not advantageous to you to pay off the mortgage all at once or early. So if you've been listening to the show, you know that Rick has long been a proponent of what we call the big long mortgage. The idea is leverage these low interest rates. You can always make extra payments if you want or if you absolutely need to because you can't sleep at night worrying about having a mortgage. But ultimately, having that lower payment, that low rate for a long time, that mortgage payment is going to feel less and less and less over time. As long as you go with a fixed rate, like in our case, we are typically recommending a 30-year fixed mortgage, that payment 30 years from now is going to feel like peanuts compared to what it feels like today because of inflation, right? Right, right. right. So yes, I am a proponent. Now, hopefully you're looking at a 30-year fixed in this refi. I am. Okay. I am. Good. Well, I I think ultimately then what's going to happen is if you're doing a refi for a lower rate, you're starting a new 30 years, you're going to have a much lower payment. So now you got to think about what you're going to do with all that extra money you have from the lower payment. Well, they they are saying to me it could be as much as $500 less a month. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. Well, hey, here's an idea. Maybe you should save it. Maybe you should invest it. <laughs> Try to put put aside some of that money for, you know, whatever you need in the future. If you're in good shape now, well, that means you can be in even better shape by taking that $500 and doing something good with it. So if you'd like, I think you're a good candidate for someone who could do financial planning and, and talk to a financial advisor. If you feel like you've got enough money now that you really need to think about how to best utilize your savings and your investments. That is something that I've been thinking about and putting off. So. With the new year coming, I'm going to make that decision and and move forward on it. Oh, I love it. Your new year's resolution can be just very simply talk to a financial planner this year. That sounds like a winner to me. Thank you so much. I love it, Elizabeth. Well, thanks so much for your call and excellent luck here in the new year's with your new year's resolutions. And that was Elizabeth in Akakeek, Maryland. If you, like Elizabeth, have questions about your mortgage or about your financial planning, give us a call. 888-PLAN-RICK. Well, in some long-awaited but still somewhat surprising news, some U.S. colleges are actually cutting tuition. Yes, it sounds like maybe the cost of a college education has finally stopped going up, at least for some of the smaller liberal arts colleges that are looking to lure students in the midst of a pandemic. One example is Oberlin College in Ohio, which cut its tuition by $10,000 for all of their new students. Nearby Denison 
had an even better offering for Ohio residents, which was a $100,000 scholarship over four years. And Davidson College, which is where one of my very closest friends went, it's in North Carolina, well, they froze their tuition for the first time in a quarter century. We know that the nation's combined student debt is now over $1.7 trillion, and admissions officers are worried about dealing with fewer high school graduates or fewer applicants because of people concerned about COVID-19 or having to learn from homes. Freshman enrollment was down 13% this year, an unprecedented decline. It's unclear whether or not we'll see the same thing from large endowed universities, but Princeton in New Jersey cut their tuition by 10% for undergraduates with uh, the current academic year because of anticipation of a diminished student experience. Some schools are offering more help-based financial need, and still schools are trying to ensure that they have enough students for the next year, especially after the 2020 drop. This may be finally some good news for those of you sending your kids or helping grandkids pay for what seemed like a never-ending, increasingly expensive college tuition. Saving for college is such an important issue for Americans these days. And if you need help or know someone who does, give us a call at 888-PLAN-RICK. Thanks for listening. We're out of time today. We want to wish you a very happy holiday season and a very happy new year. Rick's going to be back with you next week. In the meantime, give us a call at 888-PLAN-RICK or reach us at rickedelman.com. personal finance advice for over 25 years. This is The Rick Edelman Show.